You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't have your own Bible, uh, there should be a blue one right there in the pews uh, in front of you, around you. Uh, Feel free to take one of those and open up to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 25. I'm going to read that in a little bit, but uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for uh, today. Thank you for your love. and thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you for all that you are and all that you do, and Lord, that we can come and worship, we can come and praise, and we can come and honor and glorify you, because you are on the throne. Father, we thank you for this day, and we ask that you would meet us where we are, in our questions, and our doubts, and our worries, and our anxieties, and our fears, and our joys. Father God, I pray that you would allow us to see ourselves in the Scriptures, to hear what you have to say to us, to speak to us, to allow us to see in the life of Moses. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, and Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct me in, in, in my words, that they would not be mine, but that they would be yours, Lord, and that we give this time to you, Lord, and that Holy Spirit, that you would work according to your good and perfect pleasure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Ah, that's pretty good. Good to see you all this morning. I pray that you're doing well. Uh, thank you for those that are joining us online as well. Uh, summer was turned off uh, kind of quick this year, wasn't it? Uh, the, the, like summer is gone. Uh, don't worry, I only have one air conditioner unit going today, and that's the one that hits me. So uh, you should all be good this morning. Uh, but earlier this year, as many of you know, I was taking physical therapy for my knees. I went for about four months, three and a half, four months, and I left, and my knees were were good. Uh, they haven't been bothered me uh, like they have for the last 30 years, except for my wife just goes, you've just been kneeling on your knees for 15 minutes to change the thing. What's going to happen? Honestly, they hurt very badly right now, but these are the things that you got to do. Uh, but then, uh, so I left physical therapy in about April, and some of you are like, what does this have to do with the sermon? Uh, a little bit. Uh, bear with me. So I left in April, end of April, and I didn't go to physical therapy for about two months. And then about two months after I left, I was doing something and I hurt my shoulder. Some of you may remember that. I couldn't even touch my other shoulder. I couldn't do anything. And it started feeling better on its own because I'm a guy and I hate doctors, right? Uh, so I don't go. Uh, and so uh, I didn't go, and it started feeling better. And then um, Tom and I and Josiah, we decided to put down about 300 pounds of concrete outside, and my shoulder decided to hurt again. And then I went back to physical therapy. And for long story short, uh, I went to physical therapy, and they told me uh, that I messed up my AC joint in my shoulder because uh, everything I've done in my life, all the contact sports that I've done, they go, it's somewhat normal, you've strained your AC joint, so you need to do some physical therapy. And so I've been going for the last two months or so, and guess what? My shoulder was feeling better. 
I, it kept getting better and better and better. Once I started pushing the bone down, that really helped. Uh, they didn't tell me to do that in physical therapy. I found that out on my own. But it started feeling better. And so much so, this past week, I went to physical therapy, and the doctor gave me a progress report. And the doctor goes, everything looks great. Your pain is not there. You have more movement. Your strength is better. Everything is looking good. He goes, two more weeks and you'll be done. And you go, yes, right? But then he utters these words. We're going to turn up all the exercises a little bit, make them more difficult on you for, for now on. I go, okay, no problem. So guess what happened? My shoulder started hurting again, right? Uh, I went in on Friday, go, my shoulder is starting to hurt, right? Why is that, really? Have you ever been in a place where you looked at someone or something and thought you were supposed to be working with me and not against me? Take, for example, the technology. Last week and this week, supposed to be working with me, not against me. You've all been there, right? You've all been there in a spot in your life where you looked at someone or something and go, you're supposed to be working with me and not against me. Well, we're going to see that this morning in the life of Moses. I want you to see something in his life up front so that you can see it throughout the rest of the book as we go through. You see, God's grace works in you while Satan works against you. And I want you to see that as we go through the book of Exodus and as we see Moses' life, that God's grace works in you while Satan works against you. That at times, we look at everything that's going on out here that's externally and go, man, things are hard. Satan seems to be working double time against me right now. But in here, within, for the person in Christ, God's grace is working within you. And so I have three things for you. The crossword, or the crossroads, all week long I've been saying the crosswords. I don't know why, but the crossroads, the gutter, and the grace. And so um, I wanted to use my handy-dandy remote, but it's not working. And so we got to start here. We got to start at the crossroads this morning. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, we read this. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Now, what we're going to run into during this book, at least the first 20 chapters or so, is this. A lot of you are going to start picturing Charleston Heston in your mind and the movie The Ten Commandments of him doing all those things. That's fine. Picture it on your head, all right? But we're going to see right here that Moses is at a crossroad. And what that is, is simply this. Last week, we saw and we talked about the first 10 verses of this chapter. And what we saw last week was that Moses was born. And I told you last week that you could take Moses' life and you could split it up into three 40-year periods of time because Scripture tells us that Moses lived 120 years. And so we looked at, you go, the first 40 years of his life, he was pampered. The second period of 40 years, he was being prepared. In the last 40 years, he was being a pastor. And so for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he had everything great. His mom nursed him for the first couple of years of his life that we talked about last week. And then she takes him back to Pharaoh's daughter and she adopts him. And now he's the grandson of the Pharaoh. And he has everything that he could possibly want. Like that's a good gig. Imagine being the grandson, the granddaughter of the Pharaoh or of the king or of a very wealthy person. Things are going to be pretty good for you. Scripture tells us, and history would tell us the same thing, that Moses had the best education. 
he's learning from the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were very, very advanced at this time. They, had a, they were far ahead of things uh, than most people. And so Moses, he just had the best of everything. But I want you to know this. <clears throat> During those 40 years, Moses knows that he is a Hebrew. He knows that he's Jewish. His mom had taught him that during those first early years. And as we read here, one day Moses went out to where his people were. If you remember last week, we saw that the Israelites, they were just oppressed all over the place, and they were slaves. And so he goes out there to watch them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And I want you to pick up on something here. You see where it says Moses watched them? Some of your Bibles will say that Moses looked upon them or that he saw them. Now, when you hear the word saw or looked upon, you go, they just saw them. But this is different. The Hebrew word there, it speaks more, you're you're looking with an emotion, right? You know the difference of looking at something and then looking at it with an emotion. Your, your, Your heart is engaged in what you're seeing. And so Moses goes out and he sees this fight between this Egyptian and between this Hebrew. And he's watching them, but it's an emotional watching. His heartstrings are being tugged. He's being broken on the inside because of what is taking place with this Hebrew. And so what Moses does is this. He ends up stopping this fight. He ends up, actually, as you're going to see in a couple moments, kills an Egyptian. You go, why does he do that? Well, that word beating that you see there, it gives us a little bit of a debate because that beating, that word that is used there, can actually mean a beating to death. There's a possibility that this Egyptian was beating this Hebrew man to death. Or it could have just been like a normal beating to use that language. And so Moses sees this and he steps into an axe, possibly saving the life of this Hebrew man. But here's what you need to get. It's right here that Moses is at a crossroad. Have you ever been there in your life? You ever been at a crossroad where you had to go, am I going to go right or am I going to go left? Am I going to take the high road or am I going to take the low road? Which way am I going to go? We, we've all been there. Moses is here. Sometimes those, those situations are good. You know, whichever road you take, things are going to go well, right? Hopefully those are the only crossroads you come across. But we also know there's other times where sometimes no matter what road you take, things are going to be bad. They're going to be difficult. We've always been there. We've been there. And Moses had a decision to make in his life and with his life. Because here's the decision that Moses had to make. This was his crossroad. One road was this. Moses, you become the next pharaoh of Egypt. Huh. Remember I told you last week that one of the options of the pharaoh that was living at this time was Thutmose I. And I told you last week that history tells us he had no biological children. And so Moses, as the adopted grandson, very well could have been the next pharaoh. The historian Josephus tells us that Moses would have been the next pharaoh. So here's your crossroad. You could become the next pharaoh of Egypt. Pretty good gig, right? You take the spiritual side of things out of it and all, like all the 15, you know, 20 gods that they had and all that thing. Pretty good gig to be a pharaoh, to be a king over a nation. You know, you don't really have to work. You can have somebody fanning you. You can eat all the food you want, right? Good gig. So there you go, Moses. You could be the pharaoh and you could rule over everybody and everything would be great. 
But crossroads always have two roads, at least. What's the other one? Well, the other road, choice number two, is this, Moses. You could side with your own people, the Hebrews, who are slaves and being oppressed every single day. What road are you going to take if you had the choice? Pharaoh or slave? If we're honest, most of us are going Pharaoh. Just being honest with you, because none of us are going to go, I think I want to be a slave today when I could be the Pharaoh. That's the crossroad that Moses is at, and he knows it. He knows it. And so he has to make a decision. Did you know you're faced with the same decision daily? Let me show you how. One of the best ways to understand Scripture is to allow Scripture to tell us what is taking place. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 11, and we read verses 24 to 25. We read this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now you know the story of Moses, so you know he chose not to be the next Pharaoh. We're also told this in Hebrews that he chose not to be, he didn't want to be regarded as the daughter, uh, the, the son of the Pharaoh's daughter anymore. He goes, I'm done with that. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm not, I don't want to be associated with that. So you know which way he goes. You know what road he chooses, and that is to be identified with the Hebrew people. He chose to mis- be mistreated and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward, and that is heaven. Something happened in the heart and the head of Moses. We don't know what it is, but something happened. Something took place where Moses had this defining moment in his life. Have you ever had one of those? A defining moment? Moses had one. And his defining moment was this. He goes, I want to live for Jesus. I'm going to surrender all that I have. I'm going to give up everything that could be mine as the next Pharaoh. And I'm going to surrender all of it now so that I could live for Jesus. And I will enjoy a much greater reward down the road, and that is heaven. Moses gave up the riches of this world to follow Jesus. Moses knew it was better to follow Christ than be mistreated here and now and to miss out here and now because it is far better to follow Christ now and receive a reward later on, which is heaven. To say it this way, Moses had a coming to Jesus moment, if you would. Have you? Have you had a coming to Jesus moment in your life? Have you come to the crossroads in your life yet? We sat there, I have to make a decision on Jesus. Am I going to go and go the way of Pharaoh and the riches and the fame and the goodness and the pleasures of this world? Or am I going to disregard all the pleasures of this world and I'm going to follow Jesus because it's far greater and far better to follow Christ because of who He is and what is going to happen in the future? What, is the, what road am I going to go on? 
You have to make that decision. You have to come to that defining moment. You go, well, I'm never going to make that decision. When you don't make that decision, you've made the decision. You've chose the pleasures of this world and not Jesus. Have you come to the place in your life where you said, Jesus, I'll give it all up for you. I'll surrender all of it for you. If you've come to that crossroad in your life already and you chose the world, guess what? Jesus has brought you to another crossroad. He's brought you back to that place and He's given you another opportunity. Going, you don't have to keep the decision of following the, ro- the world. You don't you have to keep following the Pharaoh. You could come and choose me and go on the road that, that I'm on. But you need to make that decision. What road are you on? Are you going with the Pharaoh and the things of the world? Are you going with Jesus? Moses gave up the riches of this world for Christ, as should you and I, because he's worth it. So, Moses has this defining moment. He has this come-to-Jesus moment. But then we come to this. The gutter. Verses 12 to 25. I'm going to read this for you. Okay? So follow along. Hopefully you got your Bibles. Verse 12, 25. Glancing this way and that way, seeing no one, Moses killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to the water of their flocks. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him, and him, invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named them Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to the God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. That's what happens. A lot happens with Moses. See, one of the things that happens when people have this moment, this coming coming to Jesus moment in their life, and they turn to Jesus, they think everything is going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. I told you a couple years ago, a pastor friend of mine down in Florida, he told me this story. He goes, I once had a girl in church. He goes, great girl. She was probably late teenagers, early 20s, so think college-aged young lady. And he goes, she finally gave her life to Jesus. She gave her life to Christ. She she put her faith in Jesus, and she was off. She was away for a week or two, and she came back to church, and she looked miserable. And he goes, why do you look miserable? He goes, what is wrong? And she goes, 
I thought when I came to Jesus and put my faith in Jesus, everything would be great. He goes, what do you mean? She goes, I have gotten nothing but red lights ever since I put my life, gave my life to Jesus. And she was serious. She was highly depressed because she was literally getting red lights as she drove through town. She thought because she put her faith in Jesus, Jesus was going to give her green lights everywhere she went. And she was highly disappointed in that. We have this false idea that if you come to Jesus and trust Jesus, life is going to be like one big warm apple pie and ice cream. It's not going to happen. I promise you, it's not going to happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. God doesn't even tell us it's going to happen that way. But yet we still have this thinking that these types of things, bad things and pain and confusion and heartache and hardships, we think because we follow Jesus that those are not going to happen. If that's you this morning, I hate to burst your bubble, but life is not warm apple pie and ice cream. It's not. At times, following Jesus is living in a hurricane and getting hit by a flying cow. You go, a flying cow? Cows don't fly. Well, in a hurricane they could. But a flying cow is something that is unpredictable, isn't it? Something you don't see ever happening. Following Jesus means that there's going to be times where something comes at you that you didn't expect and you didn't think would happen. It's still going to happen when you follow Jesus. But it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Moses ends up killing a man. He literally kills a man. After he has this moment, you think, oh, how? Why? You see, things have really taken a sour note for Moses, haven't they? He's killed a man. Hebrews call him out on this. Pharaoh's hunting him down to kill him. He runs off to Midian, which I'll show you where that is in a moment. And now he's living out in the desert. You thought Egypt was a desert. Midian, Midian is a far worse desert. Things have taken a sour note after Moses had his come to Jesus moment. Following Jesus at times plays the sour and difficult notes in our lives. And I hear what you're saying. And you're going, well, pastor, if Moses didn't kill the guy, then none of these other things would have happened. Everything would have been different. I agree. But once again, let us let Scripture speak for itself. Because some of you don't know this about Moses. Acts chapter 7, verse 23, Stephen is speaking. He goes, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. So you know where we are right now. Moses thought, listen, that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't. What you don't know about Moses is that Moses knew that he was going to be used by God to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt. And Moses thought, by going out and rescuing this Hebrew from the Egyptian, the nation of Israel would realize that Moses was their deliverer, that God was going to use him to bring them out of the oppression that Egypt was go had upon them. How Moses knew this, we're not told, and I'm not going to speculate where Scripture is silent. But Moses knew in some way that God was going to use him to free the nation of Israel. 
He thought, maybe this is the start of it. Maybe if I rescue this one person, we could start a revolution. I don't know. Not sure what was in Moses' head, but he knew he was a deliverer, that God was going to use him. Have you ever been in the place of going, Lord, I thought you wanted me to do this. I thought this was your plan. I prayed about it. I sought counsel about it. You told me, and I went and I did it, and then it all turned out to be one big crash and burn. Do you ever have that happen? I have. Well, you really think it's God's will, and so you do it, and things don't work out. I like that for Moses. Maybe lives were ruined when you did it. Maybe you're left holding the ashes of what you thought was God's will and His plan. Look where Moses is at. Picture Moses going, I know I'm the deliverer, but now I'm running for my life. Things aren't that good. So what does Moses do? Well, he hides the body because that's normally what you do when you kill somebody, right? You try to hide the body, right? And so that's what Moses does. He hides the body, and the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting each other. It's really hard to help people when they're fighting against themselves, right? So he goes out and he sees these two Hebrews fighting each other, and he stops, he steps in to stop it. And the one Hebrew, he goes, who are you? Who made you judge and ruler over us? I really hope he was alive 40 years later when Moses comes back, but that's another story. He goes, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Oh. It's never good when you kill somebody. It's never good when you kill somebody and somebody saw you do it. And Moses goes, uh-oh. Moses goes, I'm a dead man. Why? Because even though he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was a Hebrew. And Hebrews don't kill Egyptians. And Moses goes, I'm, I'm dead. The Pharaoh's going to find out about this, and he's going to come, and he was going to kill me. And so Moses runs into Midian. And he's like, Where, where's, where's Midian? Well, let me show you. You got to see this, all right? My red dot will work this morning. At least I could use a remote for that. Lower Egypt, see Goshen, like over here? Nobody said yes, all right? Remember, your interaction makes the sermons go faster, okay? You see over here? All right, see, there you go, okay? So Moses is over here, right? Goshen. So he, Moses is over in this area, probably where he killed the Egyptian, all right? Meaning is over the Sinai Peninsula, all the way over, over here. You, you think that's a little bit of a trek? Yeah. How many of you want to walk through the desert? No, 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 you all hate like July right here in the northeast Pennsylvania. So Moses runs from here, runs all the way through the wilderness of Shur, the wilderness of Paran, across this peninsula over here in the Midian. And Midian was absolutely nothing. There was rocks and sand. That's it. Nothing else. Not even a Dollar General, like Dollar General wouldn't even put a store in this location. There's nothing there. And that is where Moses runs to. He takes off. Pretty good distance to go to get out of the way of Pharaoh, right? He's running. We think he's running from Pharaoh. And he is, to a point. 
But Moses is actually running away from the will of God as well. Or at least he thinks he is. I just told you that in some way, Moses knew that he was to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt. Well, now he makes that run as far as he can. So let me ask you this. If you're supposed to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt, and you know God wants to use you for that, how do you deliver the nation when you're that far away? How do you deliver the nation of Israel when you're not even with the nation of Israel? You can't. He's running from his crime, but he's also running from the will of God. Are you? Maybe you think this, I can't save them. I can't do what God wanted me to do now. I messed it all up. I'm out of here. That's what Moses is thinking. I can't deliver them. I just killed somebody. I messed everything up. I, I, I just literally put my foot in my mouth. It's all over. You ever think that? You ever live that out in your life that everything is over? That you can't do what God wanted you to be doing? And so Moses is a Midian, and he sits down. And he sits down at a well, and while he's there, seven sisters come to them with their flocks, okay? So they're there, but when they're there, a couple other men come with their flocks and drives them away. And at this point, this is where Charleston Heston comes in my mind, and I picture this fight scene at the well. I don't know why, it just happens. And so these men are driving these sisters away, and so Moses is like... I can handle this. And so Moses gets up and he fights these men off and drives them away. And then he draws water for the flocks of these seven sisters, right? And this is, I, I love this. I find this hilarious. And so what happens is the seven sisters, they water their flocks and then they go home. And their dad's name is Ruel, right? He's also by it known by the name of Jethro, okay? Ruel, he has the name of Jethro. I'm going to call him Jethro because it's easier to pronounce, okay? But he, this is the dad of seven girls, okay? Kind of feel sorry for him, but it's, it's how, how it is, right? He has seven daughters. Daughters come home, and dad's like, why are you home so early? And they're like, well, dad. And you know, seven daughters, you know this conversation took four hours, okay? And like, well, dad, we were at the well, and then, okay, maybe three hours. Some of you gave me a look, okay? You know how it is. With seven daughters, like, just think about it, right? Dad, we were at the well, and these men drove us away, but then there's this Egyptian. He came, and he rescued us, and, and he drove them all away, and then he watered our flocks. And dad goes, where is he? Well, we left him at the well, Dad's thinking, I have seven daughters. There's nobody and nothing in Midian. You need to go get him because I need to get one of you out of my roof, okay? You, you, one of you got to get married and get out of here, right? And so dad goes, go back and get him. Bring him back so that we can give him something to eat. And so Moses, he comes in, right? Once again, you all have the movie playing in your head. He comes in, and what happens? Well, over the course of time, this isn't like a Las Vegas thing, like where Moses just shows up, meets a woman, and gets married in like two hours. It's not a Las Vegas type of thing. Over a period of time, Jethro goes, Moses, how about you marry my daughter Zipporah? Moses is like, okay. Don't have anything else going for me. I'm living in Midian. And there's no, uh, 40 years old, I guess time to start a family. He goes, okay, 
I'll marry Zipporah. And so they get married. And they have a kid. Does it seem like Moses is starting a new life? Yeah. New location. Wife, child. Starting a new life. Away from his people and perhaps away from his God. He has a son, and they may name him Gershom. I want you to get that. You see, you and I, our culture, we name kids just because we like the name that we give them. Not back then. You name the child, hoping that they would fulfill whatever that name meant. So if you wanted your child to be a warrior, you gave him a name that meant warrior or fighter or strong in the hopes that, it would, that they, he would fulfill that. Or they named their child under the circumstances that was surrounding their lives to describe their lives. The name Gershom means foreigner there or alien there. It could also mean banishment. Moses names his son foreigner there. He names his son with a name that literally means banishment. Where do you think Moses is at mentally and emotionally, spiritually? He's checked out. He's, got, he, he's checked out. He's done. Everything, he's completely and utterly done. He has looked at himself and at everything that has happened and he goes, I'm banished. It's all over. God wanted me to deliver the nation. I can't do that now. It's all over. Ever feel like God is done with you? Because of something you did or maybe something you didn't do? You ever sit there going, my life feels like it's in the gutter? Or maybe you think my spiritual life is in the gutter because there's no way back from this. I struggle too much with this issue. I'm, I'm done. God's done with me. One of the things I hear about a lot, actually, I had this once when we used to do the Kabasi Fest years and years ago. I was talking to a couple, and the lady looked at me, and she's holding the thing. She goes, if I walk into your building, lightning will strike the church. I go, no, it won't. If it hasn't struck the light of the church with me in it yet, it's not going to strike the building with you in it. Right? And she was dead set on it. And then she was gone. I've heard that saying so many times. So many times. We think God's done with me. God wants nothing to do with me. Can I tell you that that's all Satan? That's all talk from Satan. Satan is the accuser, he is the deceiver. And it is Satan that whispers in our ears, accusing us, reminding us, deceiving us in light of the things that we've done, the things that we haven't done in our life. It's Satan working against you. It is Satan getting, to, getting you to run away from God like Moses did. He's trying to get you to run from God because he wants you away from God. 
It is Satan working against you, trying to get you to think that God is done with you because of something that you have done or have not done in your life, just like he did with Moses. Moses, you need to run. You need to get away from God. God is done with you, Moses. Satan does the same thing to you and to me. Oh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe I did that. I need to leave. I need to get out of here. God is done with me. That's all Satan accusing you and deceiving you. It is Satan trying to get you to think that God is done with you, that God has banished you. There's no way back. I messed everything up. God wants nothing to do with me. There's no way back. It's just over. As a pastor, I hear a lot of things. And a lot of times people tell me, a lot of the same things, actually, which I, quite, I find funny. Everybody always thinks they have the same reason or excuse why they can't do something, but I've heard them like 300 times. It's great. One of them is this. I can't do that. Now, the that will change all the time, but it's always, I can't do that. Why not? Well, this, that, and the other thing. They, they just come up with reasons. I've done it too. Moses, I want you to deliver the nation of Israel. I can't get ahead of myself because this will be the next couple weeks. And Moses goes, I can't. Because of this, that, and the other thing. Which we'll see over the next two weeks. You're telling God the same thing. You have built up a wall of reasons and excuses to stay away from God because you think God is done with you and He's not. All of that talk comes from Satan. It's all Satan. But here's the thing though, while Satan is working against you like he is working against Moses here, God's grace is working in you. Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 14. I have four sermons from these couple verses. Don't worry. I'm not preaching it this morning, okay? We'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Paul says this in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. He goes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what God, to do what is good. Whew. Paul loved run-on sentences. God's grace God's grace. I want you to see this up front in Exodus so that you could see it unfold. You see, some of you feel like Moses right now. The life's a mess. That maybe you would use the description that your life is in the gutter. Maybe externally with work and relationships and, and health and things along those lines. Maybe it's internally, maybe with, with mental issues or spiritual issues, that you would use the description that life is a mess, that life is a gutter. you got so much going on, you're not sure which way to go, what to do. Or perhaps you think something is over. 
Maybe a relationship, maybe a job, maybe something else that you think it's over with. Maybe you thought God wanted you to do something and now it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like you're right. Maybe, just maybe, you have sinned and you have messed things up greatly. Perhaps every day you look over the course of your life and you think, I can't do this and I can't do that and God surely doesn't love me and surely God doesn't want me because of what I did and what I've done. Maybe you're thinking about starting over, but this time without Jesus, kind of like what Moses did. If that is you, you're just like Moses. But I need to remind you of something, something that Moses didn't quite realize. God has brought you out of something to bring you into something else. I told you two weeks ago to remember that line throughout the course of our study in this book, that God has brought you out of something to bring you into something else. You see, God has brought you out of the gutter and brought you into His grace. You need to realize that. You see, Paul goes, the grace of God teaches us. Notice what he says there. It's God's grace that teaches us. Not just God, but it is His grace that teaches us. God's grace, which is His unmerited favor in and upon your life. Grace is something you don't deserve. If I gave you a check for $5,000 right now, right? That is me acting in grace. You didn't do anything to deserve that $5,000. I just give you that. That is grace. God's unmerited, unfavored grace upon you. It is His love and it is kindness and His mercy and His forgiveness and His guidance and His direction and His presence and His comfort and all of that that He gives to you and I because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of it. Moses didn't deserve anything. That's why it's grace. We don't deserve it. It is God's grace that teaches you and enables you to say no to sin and the things of this world. It's God's grace that enables you to live a self-controlled life by the power of God and for the glory of God. God's grace, as I said, is His undeserved favor. And I've told you this throughout my years here at the church, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for eternal life, but it is for daily life. And that is why you and I have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Because Paul says in verse 14, he goes, Jesus gave himself for us. If you're in Christ and you write in your Bible, Eli was surprised that I write in my Bible the other day. He saw me reading, he goes, why are you writing? And I go, I do it all the time. If you take your Bible, circle that word us and go me. Because if you're in Christ, that us is you. Paul goes, Jesus gave himself for you to redeem you, to save you, to rescue you, to deliver you, to pull you from the gutter of sin and death and wickedness and God's wrath and his judgment. He redeemed you from all that wickedness and, big word, and to purify a people that is, are his very own. Jesus doesn't just pull you or redeem you. He brings you out of that sin and then he brings you into a purifying agent. He cleanses you. He washes you. 
Look at verse 5 in chapter 3. Because he saves us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Jesus pulls you out of the gutter and he washed you. He cleaned you. He renewed you in and by his grace. And the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just bring forgiveness of sin. It brings transformation within the life of the person. You see, Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, changes you all because of his grace. This is what God has done for you. This is what Christ has done for you. He redeemed you. He pulled you from the gutter. He's washed you and he's cleansed you. That is who you are in Christ. And it is his grace that changes you. This is who you are if you've had that moment we talked about earlier where you come to Jesus and go, I'm following you. If I have to give it all up for you, then so be it. It's his grace working in you and teaching you and enabling you. His grace is empowering you to keep you moving forward. But here's the problem. This is the hard part. This is what Moses struggled with, and this is what you struggle with. It's what I struggle with. We don't see or pay attention to the grace of God like we do the hardships in our lives. We get so tied in and focused in on the hardships of life. We don't see the grace of God. And so we, like Moses, go, I'm done. It's too much. Where is God? I messed up way too much for God to, and you could fill in the blank. All the while you're thinking that and living that and saying that, God's grace is working in you. God's grace is teaching you, preparing you, strengthening you, covering you, comforting you. You need to realize who you are and what God has done in your life and you need to apply that. Friends, please don't allow Satan to keep you in the gutter and to have you run from God. Because some of you are running from God. And you're apart from God. And you don't need to be. Allow the grace of God to work in you and drive you back to the Lord. Don't run from God because of the hardships. But run with Jesus in light of His grace. And let that shine through your daily life. Moses messed up. Thought everything was over. And God goes, I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy and forgiveness and love. Moses, it's going to take 40 years you're still going to deliver the nation of Israel because I'm a God of grace. And I'm working in you, Moses. Some of you are struggling right now. God's grace is there and you need to be patient. And you need to wait and you need to allow God to work in you and through you. Don't allow Satan to pull you in the gutter and have you run away from God like Moses did. Rest in His grace and allow His grace to teach you, 
draw you back to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you are. I thank you for the grace that you have for us. Father, I pray that we would learn from Moses. Father, I pray that you would help us to rest in your grace and to run to you, not away from you. Help us to realize what you've done in us and for us, that it's not over because we've messed up, because your grace is there, Lord. We give this to you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.